um, revenue operations is the science of, it's a lot of analysis and tracking. It's the tech stack folks. It's really a team that's sitting above marketing and sales and helping to analyze and optimize uh, the tech stacks. There's, there's enablement and there's people, there's processes. I've called for in my work a data ops team. Data is tough. No matter where you are in the world, you get 10 records, you know, three of the wrong person because the job changes. Three have a bad email, a bad phone number. Then there's, here's 10,000 accounts in our uh, target addressable market. How do we slice that? Hello everyone, it's Tom Abbott here from Soko Sales Training. And today on the Selling in Asia podcast, we are talking about the future of sales with RevOps fanatic, Justin Michael. Now, Justin is the founder of salesborgs.ai and co-author of Tech Powered Sales and is also an expert on sales tech stack optimization, which is why we're so excited to have him join us today. If you want to take your sales skills to the next level and learn how to master the entire sales process, join Soco Academy and get certified in Soco Selling. The link is in the notes. Uh, Justin, great to have you here. Uh, welcome to the Selling in Asia podcast. We're thrilled to have you here and just talk about, you know, all things sales and tech and AI and sales ops and, and rev ops, which kind of leads me to, to my first question. I think a lot of our, our listeners and viewers would be really interested to know what the heck is all the talk these days about, you know, rev ops versus sales ops? Uh, can you share a little bit about, you know, what are the similarities and the differences between, you know, revenue operations and, and sales operations? Why don't we just start there? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, when you look at LinkedIn, you can go to the hashtag, uh, hashtag revenue operations, and there's about 800 followers. And then if you put in hashtag rev ops, there's 650. So if you're listening and you work at LinkedIn, let's get that hashtag going. Because when we go over to sales, I think we hit uh, 20 million plus or, you know, marketing 30 million. Um, but it's all the rage. Now, sales ops traditionally has been, you know, someone working in Salesforce, Maybe they're you know taking over sales loft and outreach and some of the tech stack pieces, but it's been a bit of bit of a silo next to a chief revenue officer or next to a VP of sales to help uh, with people process and technology, but typically for the revenue side. What's happened now with the rise of automation is the marketing automation team and the sales automation team need to meet, and they need to meet because of GDPR, and they need to meet because the systems overlap. And there's so much outbound activity with all the outbound calls and outbound sequences that those outbound campaigns are flywheeling and pushing um, customers and prospects and suspects back into the funnel. And for a full waterfall of multi-channel attribution, you've got the CFO um, and the CEO saying, well, what is, you know, what's happening with all my advertising? It's the hilarious quote, you know, 50% of my advertising works. I just don't know. What happened? 50%? Is that John Wanamaker? I think is it. So um, revenue operations is the science of, it's a lot of analysis and tracking. It's the tech stack folks. It's really a team that's sitting above marketing and sales and helping to analyze and optimize uh, the tech stacks. There's, there's enablement and there's people, there's processes. I've called for in my work a data ops team. Data is tough. No matter where you are in the world, you get 10 records, you know, three of the wrong person because the job changes, three have a bad email, a bad phone number. Then there's, here's 10,000 accounts in our uh, target addressable market. How do we slice that? There's technologies like Bombora and Sixth Sense and Albacross that are able to divine by understanding where, you know, in an account-based marketing world, people are clicking. 
And so you can cut that 80-20 and say, these are the 20% of these 10,000 accounts that are more likely to have a propensity to buy. Let's work those. And so what we've seen is that account-based marketing, which is all the rage the last five years, has moved into an account-based selling motion where the sales team and the marketing team are aligned based on the intent data on where to strike. And then the systems are combined through what I call a Frankenstack, because these systems don't talk, but the RevOps team are trying to splice that together. A lot of times in a custom dashboards from like Domo, or they're building out a lot of dashboard where in Salesforce Lightning or HubSpot to try to visualize what's the full customer journey. They came to an event on Thursday. There's a company called uh, uh, Lean Data. So you can look over the last two years of the lead. They came in on a Thursday, two years ago, they attended these three webinars. They came in and they took this demo. You know, they switched roles. They got a promotion. They came in on this, you know, wine event virtual campaign. You could just see the entire history and understand your LTV to CAC and the real spend. Like, what did it really cost to acquire that customer? And then you can make very, um, you know, profound forecasting decisions and investing decisions across your PNL. That that would be the the clarion call north star of why RevOps is getting really popular because it gives the C levels control um, over the full story. Yeah, and this is great, Justin. So would you would you say you know for folks out here who are still trying to scratch their heads around you know the popularity of RevOps and and sales ops because there's a lot of folks out there who are in sales operations, right? I mean that's that's a very common role or, or title, but maybe, you know, lesser in, in RevOps these days. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, RevOps is just, it hasn't jumped the shark yet. We're still two to five years out, but a lot of sales ops professionals are really doing a RevOps role. Um, it's because the technology stack has changed and they have more signals. They can see what marketing is doing. It's not uncommon for a sales ops leader to meet with marketing ops or the sales ops um, in charge to meet, with you know, marketing teams, branding, product marketing, there's a lot of crisscross and overlap, um, which I think is really positive. You know, it helps to create the feedback loop. I encourage sellers to um, become friendly with marketing and understand what's going on versus complain about it. Uh, but I understand a lot of people listening. Um, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy. It's hard to foster that. So it's really a call out to. Um, to senior leadership to book a quarterly or monthly, even bi-weekly meeting with the marketing leadership and start synchronizing up your systems. And if you haven't hired a leader in revenue operations, consider it. Someone to sit as the glue and the go-between between your, your sales motion and marketing motion to kind of, you know, be the whisperer for not only the customer, but advocate for both teams, you know? Yeah, Justin, I, I I love that. I think for for too long you've had this kind of battle, this tension between sales and marketing. You know, you've got sales complaining about really bad leads from marketing, and marketing <laughs> complaining about you know, hey, we're giving you all these great leads, but you're not converting. And you know, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, and they're always kind of fighting internally. But I think we, as you say, we need to have this this one person, this one role that kind of sits on top or sits in between as that bridge, that link, that liaison between those two functions. Because at the end of the day, um, that's what revenue operations versus just kind of sales ops. It's the everything around revenue, every piece around that for, for a company. Is, is that sort of what, what you're saying, Justin? Yeah, so it, it breaks into segments. Um, the, it, it's actually, you know, people two, three years ago, we're talking about uh, 
mops, sops, rops. So there's revenue operations, sales operations, marketing operations, data operations. What's going to happen is as more weaponized uh, technology comes out, a lot of what sales development reps are doing now is going to go away. It's going to be fully automated. And so the team that will expand is the revenue operations team because there will be someone that is doing data enrichment, doing an analysis of attribution, doing, you know, pieces of the sales operations, marketing operations, there's going to be a lot bigger team now staffed under that role. You talk to someone in RevOps right now, they're wearing five hats. Mm-hmm. They're working 90 hours a week. It's, um, it's usually under-resourced and it's considered to be easier than it is. Mm-hmm. Usually if you have five to 12 vendors in a stack and the average Fortune 500 has 90 MarTech vendors. So in the big enterprises, it's about 90. So to splice all that together, handle the contracts, stay um, up to speed on all of them. Imagine just Salesforce, just the trailheads, just knowing how to get all the Salesforce stuff working. You got third-party agencies and consulting. You got, you've got, you know, these massive ad tech stacks, MarTech stacks, sales tech stacks, and then you have to splice them all together. So it can be really like Byzantine and difficult to navigate. And then there's one person handling it. So <laughs> those teams will expand. Uh, the tech stacks are expanding and we can talk about that, but the, investments in the tech stacks are going berserk right now. It already happened in MarTech. It went from 200 vendors in 2012 to over 7,000. Scott Brinker talks about this at HubSpot and and Chief MarTech. So we're seeing sales tech, about 500 vendors for sales development reps, the top of the funnel. There's about a thousand pieces of tech in the sales tech stack, according to Nancy Narden. And what we're going to see is probably 5,000. And we're going to see another... 5 billion dumped into it by 2023. There's 1 billion invested last year on pure sales tech stacks uh, per Scott Ingram. So what does that do? It creates the revenue operations division. And for for the meantime, there's an explosion of SDRs. There's about 700,000 SDRs now that's going to go to a million, but then that role is going to morph because 70% of the top funnel role is automatable. uh, And it was automatable six, seven years ago. Right. So, you know, what we're what we're seeing is it, it seems like technology has advanced and progressed at just an incredible pace, maybe beyond what we as people, you know, uh, have been able to, to, to handle. Right. You know, we talk about maybe one person who's kind of overseeing all of these different, you know, ops, you know, and it's uh, it, it, it's a bit much. People are wearing so many hats right now because I feel like technology and innovation has just been exploding at a pace far beyond our current ability to, to handle that. Can, can you say a little bit more about that? Well, it's interesting because when you're contacting C-level executives, you still need to do hyper-personalization in the sense that if you automate your outreach to someone who is a senior decision maker and it looks automated, there's a very high risk there. Now, if you automate to the user level, they'll know it's automation, but they'll be a little bit more okay with that because it's part of their research product process it's expected Mm. Um, you know what happens with automation is it's garbage in garbage out so if you can manually test a sound process and you can figure out a series of emails a series of phone calls a series of social interactions if you then set that on automation then you're amplifying quality signal and you're basically getting a quantity out of quality and so there are scenarios with third-party vendors or by configuring software inside a company that one person can have the output of five, that one division of five can have the output of a team three to six months working in a, in a matter of 
weeks. Now there's throttles and caps and between GDPR and Gmail caps, and there's been a lot of moves to tamp this down, but it was truly the wild west six or seven years ago. Um, I was sending millions of emails on behalf of a hundred startups and 10 years ago, it was absolutely unlimited. Um, you know, I was able to do six months of work in three weeks. Wow. Team of 10 working for six months, do it in three weeks. Right. Um, just because there was no caps. So you could just go out and contact the entire fortune 1000, you know, and, and just do that in a matter of weeks. So I was doing 15 minutes a day, sorry, 15 meetings a day, mm. uh, you know, uh, do a seven figure deal in under 60 days hitting. Cause you hit the triggers because 3% of the markets in the buying window. Right. So we were able to just go out and, and, um, it's jokingly called spam the TAM. Now I never did anything non-compliant, but we all know that the world has just changed. I mean, you can't really, you can do a hundred LinkedIn invites a week now. hundred. I yeah. mean, when LinkedIn started, you could build a profile, 5,000 followers in two weeks. Right. I was there in 2005. Um, it's good. It's, it's better this way. So my book is actually all about humane ways to do small batch automation so that it's your amplifying quality signal. Cause that's what people want. Nobody wants to spam. And spam. Right. And we want, we want to be able to get a good response from they people, just do it, right? They care about their brand safety. Ultimately, if, if people knew how to use these tools and keep the quality high, they would. There's just not a lot of training and emphasis on how to do it. You buy a, a sequencer and you can do a thousand emails a day. So you just think, yeah, bam. And you pick 5,000. Well, your domain will burn down after 150 if you don't warm it. Then they get these dialers and they're doing tens of thousands of calls, but they've got this dirty data in it that's not verified. So, you know, they're, they're just calling switchboards and, if you slow down and configure your data and configure your systems and think through strategically on a whiteboard, the process and the messaging, the ICP and the personas, as if none of this technology existed, and then you plug in the technology, that's where the magic happens. Yeah, I, I love that. You know, it's kind of this, you know, mass personalization, right? Or how do you personalize at scale? I mean, that's always kind of that sweet spot that we're all trying to find. So my, my next question, Justin, that I think would be really interesting for, for our viewers and listeners is, you know, where, where do you see, you know, RevOps impacting yeah. the future of sales, right? So, I mean, like, let, let's kind of fast forward to the future. And obviously things have happened and changed really fast in the last, you know, two, five and 10 years. So wh where do you see RevOps and, uh, you know, what part will it play in the, in the future of sales when we look maybe two, five, 10 years down the road? And we could probably already start predicting things based on the trends we're seeing now, right? It's true. Um, RevOps will become highly funded. The technology platforms that they stand today that are very fractured and bifurcated will become, they'll be consolidated platforms. So it's very likely someone like Salesforce will buy Outreach.io and buy Gong, which records the calls, and buy ZooInfo because they used to have data.com. Um, so it's likely that these massive marketing clouds will release sales clouds. When they do that, the position of sales ops and rev ops will be similar to what's happening in marketing. So I talk to CMOs and they laugh and they say, look, I'm the CMO, subspecialization and specialization. Um, I'm quoting now Eric Quanstrom from a company called Science. Um, subspecialization has hit marketing. There, you don't, as a CMO, go do your SEO. You have an SEO agency or an SEO specialist. You don't do your UI, UX, you bring in a specialist. But then we go over here to sales and it's like, wow, we've got a supply chain, SDRAE, a binary two-part. We're going to moneyball. How do you moneyball something that's two divisions? There's no sport that's two. Baseball is nine. Um, 
soccer is 11, you know, there's like different hockey, like there's no sport. So the money ball worked because you could focus on the specialization of roles. Mm-hmm. RevOps will have to hire a team of analysts because you'll have one analyst for one piece of the tech stack. And then that's being coordinated with another uh, FTE over another, you know, and the SDR components change. Here's a sales development rep who is just for social selling. They're just doing LinkedIn work. Here's mm-hmm. one just building content, like a Super Bowl ad for one, ABM style content. Here's one that's just working on the analysis of data, Tableau, R, Looker, pulling reports, working with the different layers of intent, um, psychographic personalization down to the person level. What are the people doing? What are the signals we can ingest? So um, that's going to cause just a lot more work. And that's going to make these divisions grow. I've even posited that with the rise of citizen development, there's two mega trends. One, sales developers look more like sales engineers of the future. There, there's a lot of folks who just learn code. Code becomes more like an, like English um, in, in a way. Like it's just taught in schools. Most sellers are technical. Then you have the non-technicals or citizen developers, meaning they sit in these what you see is what you get workflow systems, which are sophisticated, no code, low code platforms, but they have a pseudo code mentality of being able to analyze and control the data. We already have that in MarTech. We have autonomous campaigns, really sophisticated analytics. You can hit buttons and it can run for you. We don't have a lot of run for you in sales tech. It's literally 10 years behind. Mm -hmm. When you program automations, it can take hours and it's all manual. (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's, you can't, you know, we have GPT-3, which is from OpenAI, I can write emails for you, but that doesn't exist in any sales tech yet. Mm. Um, I sit down to contact prospects. I have to write my own emails. I have to set up my own sequences. But when you market on Facebook, you just pick some demographics and throw some ad groups in and wham, and it runs the algorithms and all the tests behind the scenes. And it's doing everything for you. Algos on algos on algos. We don't have that in sales, but that's what's coming. You're going to sit down and say, I need VPs of sales in Singapore. And it's just going to go and it's going to pull up the VPs, hot or not swipe to which ones you like. It's going to suggest some messaging templates based on benchmarks. And then you're just going to set the campaign. It's going to work just like advertising. And that's your SDR team. And it's all virtual instance. There's no human SDRs there. Those humans have different jobs. They're analysts. They're down funnel. They're the human to human. Once the software generates the meeting and then, you know, we go back to sales. This is the irony. In 2007, we're all just sitting on the phone talking to people. In 2027, we're sitting on the phone talking to people. It's just, we get there through the technology. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%, 100%. And there's always these growing pains, right? Where uh, to try to automate something, because we're trying to get there, the, the automation is so manual in the early days, right? So, I mean, it takes so much work just to get something to run automatically. Um, but it sounds like it won't be too far off when it's going to be able to just kind of run like clockwork. Is that, is that kind of what you're getting at, Justin? Yeah, there's a VC named Tomas uh, Tunguz from Redpoint Ventures who predicted that the startup of the future is far more valuable because it's not just going to analyze in the CRM the data, it's going to go out and generate leads for you. It's, the auto, it's a full-blown automation of the top funnel. And it just frees up. If the, if, it's actually a humanitarian issue in the fourth industrial revolution. Human beings if they <laughs> go to college or not. I mean, here's the funniest one. You know, you send, send your kid to Stanford. What's it going to cost you? Like $250,000. They come out of Stanford. They join the hottest tech company. And for the first year, they sit and do virtual assistant type work, you know? And they sit there and they do stuff that's fully automated by a machine. So they can get, they can get to the level where they can go sell. Now, in my day, 
take the software job, they teach you everything, the product, onboarding, how to demo, how to do customer support, how all the systems work. It's full cycle sales, selling systems, strategic sales. Now we put them in a seat, they sit there and they click a button and they're an SDR. And it's a huge limitation. So my whole philosophy is you are missing the capability of that human. So this is a person who came out of applied statistics at Stanford. It doesn't have to be Stanford, but no matter who they are, they have some unique genius, but that genius is not clicking a button and hitting an Excel spreadsheet or doing, you know, downloading a comma separated file. Um, and, and there's no shame in this kind of VA work, but the question is, are we fully utilizing the human? One human brain AI is equal to every supercomputer on earth for now. Humans are really good at creativity, problem solving, synthesis, solutioning, really advanced stuff that would break the AI. It mm. could be done by an AI, but it's not going to be. Like if I go and I read your book and I listen to three of your podcasts. Now there's tech now that can listen to all your podcasts for me, use natural language, uh, natural language processing to like read it with a machine and then pull snippets and tell me what I should tell you. But still insight is I'm following you, interacting with your content and I'm building a mental model of an insight based on multiple avenues that you're sharing. I'm looking at your product, your website, your books you might've written, contribution to different webinars. And then I, I go, wow, this is what I think can help your business. We're gonna see technology help us do that. Inform the analyst, right? Like an AI powered assistant and just, I put in Tom from SoCo, it goes out and it goes, here are three possible insights based on looking at all the data on Tom on Google. But that's still not creative. It could be dry and sterile. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we need to be using you know, human capital for um, what we're meant for, right? Creativity, uh, thinking things through, problem solving, rapport building, connecting with customers. I mean, it, it's, the, it's the high touch things that we need to be doing. But at the moment, a lot of our SDRs are spending a lot of their time, you know, trying to use the technology when obviously we want to get to a point where it's it's fully automated, right? It's doing kind of that 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 low value initial top of funnel stuff and just kind of really save the the SDRs and the AEs uh, for for well more the AEs for that 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 important the conversations, the needs analysis, the discovery, uh, the you know presenting. Uh, objection handling, closing, you know, solutioning, these types of things. So my, my, my next question is around the sales rep of the future, right? Why don't we talk a little bit about what, what a sales professional is going to need to be in the future? Maybe just let me preface this by, by saying that, you know, I remember when I first started in sales back in the day, you know, it was, it was all people skills, right? I mean, the, the tech stack, that wasn't even a term, right? So there was really no tech stack at all. I mean, maybe a phone and a Rolodex and maybe flip open the yellow pages, but it was pretty simple. I mean, your CRM system was just like a, a notepad and a pencil, um, mm. you know, a, a makeshift spreadsheet. But now when we're onboarding reps, I mean, we've just taken on a couple in the last uh, couple months and it's just, it's fascinating how much technology what that tech stack is just to onboard someone. So can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, what I've isolated is, you know, I go out to write this book called Tech Powered Sales and I think, okay, how am I gonna teach people the tech stacks, the rev ops? Well, in five years from now, this whole book scale. Hmm. Nearly every company is gonna be, there's M&A, there's mergers and acquisitions, there's acquisitions. So 
what did I think? IQ, EQ, and this thing called AQ, adaptability quotient, which has really become TQ. And it's in psychology today. So I didn't actually coin it. But when you think about it, a human computer interface is what we've been dealing with since the internet. Before that, big hardware, the dials, the 747s. I mean, a human and machine has been, since the industrial revolution, the rub, even using a typewriter and learning the QWERTY keyboard. There's better keyboard designs that are more ergonomic, but we stick with that. So I thought if you could enhance your technology quotient, so there's two ways. You become highly technical. You study product. You study engineering. You learn R, Python, Node.js. You literally learn the code. We all have to be honest with ourselves. If we're selling technology and we know the technology, it's really powerful. I'm not saying you have to. Now, you can become technically curious and you can become somewhat of an analyst or operator of technology in a low-code way. So you can get a sequencer like Outreach, SalesLoft, Xant, Ring DNA, you can get these platforms and you can go take programs, you can YouTube videos on them, training courses, there's internal training, onboarding, there's Slack groups, it's hidden, you can read my book. You become the most techie kind of MacGyver person, <laughs> the iron human Jarvis person. Well, the other rep is saying, hey, I just use a pen and a pad. I'm not into using technology. Who do you think is going to keep that role in this Cambrian explosion of tech? So become technically curious and have an affinity for at least going deep you use Excel, you're using 5% of Excel, learn 10, learn macros, learn pivot tables, I'm giving everyone an analogy, everyone uses Excel. Um, people don't think they're technical. My seven-year-old mom is, uh, you know, she's 70, she's got Gmail, she's got Facebook, Instagram, you know, she gets on Zooms. That's a tech stack. That's a lot of tech for an average human. If you go back 10 years, they didn't have a cell phone. Now everyone's an iPhone, supercomputer in the pocket, a thousand dollar supercomputer with more computing power hooked into all human knowledge. Um, if you have aptitude around mathematics and science, become technical. Go to Khan Academy, go to code.org, learn coding. Um, if your skill is really psychology, study neuroscience, persuasion, game theory, um, behavioral psychology, really dive into understanding the human brain because that's, it's a very deep science. I'm, I'm a bit of an art armchair neuroscience. I, <laughs> everything in my systems is like Homer Simpson neuroscience. It's like, okay, it takes the brain 13 seconds to read a marketing email, but if you send a text message, it takes three seconds. Hmm, which should we send? Images are processed, processed uh, 60,000 times faster than words. So we should send words in an email or images. It's like Yogi Berra neuroscience. But what's funny about breaking it down to the ridiculous is you start looking at what is being automated and how bad it is. And we're triggering our prospects and we're repelling them. Uh, we're asking far too much. Um, the latest craze is there's this hostage negotiation book called Never Split the Difference. Mm -hmm. And it's glorious. It's amazing. Chris Voss. Mm -hmm. And it's being used now, though, to teach uh, top funnel tactics. And I just remind, you know, take a 22-year-old kid. I don't think I need to teach you hostage negotiation to set a meeting. Why don't you just find something relevant? This is a light thing. See if there's some interest and get a meeting. So we're also vastly overcomplicating and making it seem a lot harder than it is. And we have all this tech in the way of just meeting someone, having rapport and just having a simple conversation, getting it going. It's, it's a paradox of basis basics. It's way harder and it's way easier at the same time. That's, that's a, 
weird thing to tell your listeners because that's just gonna confuse people. It's the truth. <laughs> so do you do you feel that tech tech technology? I mean, I, I I love this question and we could probably talk about it for hours, but why don't we just kind of get the ball rolling and see where it goes? Do you feel that technology will ever replace salespeople? Um well Kevin Dorsey says it already is. I mean when we look at the MarTech stacks, it really has. When you look at uh, mobile advertising at very high scale, the advertising platforms on Facebook and Google Universal Ad campaigns, there's not a lot of human intervention. You really have self-serve. Um, you don't really need user acquisition specialists to sit there and dial the knobs. You actually, there's always now user acquisition people, but they don't have to be quants. They actually can just go in, spend money and let the algorithms optimize. And there's very simple interfaces. I'm not discrediting how hard it still is to do, but there was a time where it was really uh, a dark art. It was very hard to do it well. So what we're gonna see is that you'll have human operators. You just will, because we all wanted self-driving cars and self-driving Uber and you know going to space, none of that happened. You're just gonna see self-service platforms where the platform can do the work of what humans were doing. There will be a platform you can log into. And I tried to build one five years ago where it's just a virtual SDR team. You go in and it does the work of five SDRs and you program it and you set it and you look at it, but there's no humans in the loop. Yeah. I mean, I, I love everything about that. And I've, I've always felt that, you know, we, 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 we need to get to, and we, when people ask, Hey, they ask me, Tom, well, because obviously we, we deal with sales reps all the time, right? So some people ask me, Tom, is technology gonna, gonna you know, kick me out of my job? And I say, well, I mean, it depends, buddy. It really depends. Um, can you stay one step ahead? Can you do something that's more valuable than what a machine can do? If the answer is no, you'll be replaced by a website in a heartbeat, for example, right? But if you're able to use technology kind of working together with it, well, it can actually help you in your role and help you become more effective in your role. You can get it to do some of these, you know, lower level tasks while you focus on more, you know, high touch, high value stuff, more bottom of funnel stuff with your customers, but it just kind of depends where you want to go. But um, I would love to see a world ultimately, ultimately, where we don't have to work at all. You know, mm -hmm. where we've got, we've got technology doing the work for us and we as humans are actually free to just be ourselves and be creative i feel like there's so much work that people do that really doesn't have to be done by people could just get done using tech using machines um, and freeing us up to try to solve some of the bigger problems in the world anyway <laughs> that's that's what i think i'd like to see us take more of a philosophical approach and kind of love each other more and help each other i mean i love sales don't get me wrong obviously that's that's what i do and i'm passionate about it but at the end of the day, it's not just to me, it's not even a convo about the future of sales. To me, it's even deeper, like the future of work. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, the thing about work is you got to just look at the history to see the future. You know, the first industrial revolution, electricity, then look at the Internet. Look at, you know, Henry Ford. The, the great quote is the customers wanted faster horses. <laughs> and. You know, I just think humans need, there's this uh, futurist named Kai-Fu Lee, a Chinese futurist. He talks about 50% of jobs going away. It's all going to morph. The industrial revolutions create divergence, not convergence, and they actually create jobs. So artificial intelligence is the biggest thing that's happened since the internet. It's actually the biggest thing since electricity. What it's going to do, it's going to allow humans to be more human. 
So reasoning skills, acumen, being strategic in your role. If you're a trusted advisor, if you're a consultant, what does that mean? It means that developing deep subject matter expertise is important and being able to do things that machines can't do. Cognitive reasoning, um, the various types of, of analysis, things that are emotional. Hmm. What's really crazy though, is you span forward to 2035, 2050, humanity becomes like a vinyl record. You choose the human option and you pay more for it because isn't that quaint? You can talk to a human in a sale. And I know this sounds dystopian and I've taken a lot of flack for it because I've been writing about it for seven years because the sales community writ large is not transposing the singularity in Moore's law over sales tech. They just think, oh, but there'll still be people calling on phones. There won't. No industry has gone that way. However, people will be necessary at the very high levels of strategy, the consultant level, and people will be an option because it's a nice to have. For example, if you're an American Express card user, um, you know, yeah, you can get some on the phone pretty quickly and you pay a premium every year to be able to have that great customer service. So it's a nice touch. I would never want that to go away, right? And that might become super premium. Mm. Um, you know, but we might also have deep fakes and holograms and we might have uh, androids calling us like reverse IVRs where it's like Google duplex. It calls you and says, hi, this is Justin Michaels, AI assistant. And that's how you get through the FTC block on that. And it's transparent. And I might, if it interacts with me in a way that gives me information, I might just take the call. I mean, I'm calling those IVR systems myself and I'm calling my health insurance and my car insurance or my cell phone. I call and they go through all these decision trees and it routes me. I don't always talk to human. I don't really care. I'm just trying to pay a cell phone bill. Um, so will we not work? I'm not sure. The work will be less burdensome mm. because we think of the factory conditions and, you know, the, the times where the human assembly line, like look at the cars being made by the humans. And then we find specialization, the work of Deming and Drucker and Henry Ford and then Lean Six Sigma and Kaizen, you know, and you look at Toyota and the, the Japanese revolutions of car manufacturing. Well, now we go look at any supply chain in a car um, for building cars and it's robots. The robots are sitting where the humans are and then less humans are operating the robots. That being said, the onboarding computing systems, the differentials, the design, there's teams of humans designing those. If you take a 767, there's, I don't know, what was it like 8,000 different suppliers to build the Dreamliner and then it's all assembled in Ireland. So think of all the businesses that supply that. It's just gonna follow that narrative arc. What can you do? Like for me, I was in mobile technology, which, you know, Singapore is a huge hub for that spend years becoming an expert in, you know, gaining subject matter expertise and a network around a certain industry that you understand. Uh, that's really powerful. And that will protect you. And then I wouldn't write yourself off. I mean, I'm not a coder. I'm not a programmer. I'm one of the most technical salespeople in world history. Cause I just like to write this book. I interviewed 400 people. I sat through, I've sat through a thousand technology demos. I've sold, a hundred different technology products. And then I've learned to technically demo those products. When I say technical demo, I mean, I know where all the buttons are on the screens and the different formats and all the acronyms and I've defined them all, but it doesn't mean that I can write a lick of code. So, if, you know, if I could do it, you could do it. And um, it's not about memorization. It's about asking another question, right? What is an SCP? What is, what is a PAD? What is CAS, right? You got sales engagement platform. You've got, um, 
parallel assisted dialer, you've got connect and sell, right? Those are three acronyms that I constantly talk about. And I always get, what's a pad? What's a SEP? You know, what's the, you know, and it's because CRM, there's no one on this call that doesn't know CRM, but CRM was Welsh 10 years ago. No one knew what that was. <laughs> so I just, I highlight that because we have to be thinking that way to, we, I mean, it's the Luddites, right? That fable of the factory workers that just reject it. The reps that reject technology will become extinct. 100%. To totally agree. I think that, Justin, is a wonderful point to end on for anyone out there listening or watching. To me, the key takeaway here is, you know, get with the program or get left behind, right? You know, there's people out there that, that make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people who go, what happened? <laughs> Which one do you which one do you want to be? All right. Thank you so much, Justin. Great to have you here on the Selling in Asia podcast. It was a real pleasure. We're gonna have all of your contact details and a link to your book in the show notes. Thank you, Take everyone, for joining us. All the best. And thank you very much, Justin. Great having you here. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.